So we're rolling. Cool. We are live. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary, and my name is Mark, and I have a passion that you should feel in control of your life. So what I do is I help you get control of your business, and part of how I do that, as you know by now, is by letting you listen in on a conversation between two people who have a passion for excellence in the entrepreneurial world, geeking out, talking about something in the details that they really find awesome, and hopefully will stumble get lost and figure out how to talk about something that will unlock the problem, the ceiling, the challenge that will help you live that best life by running the best business. So before we dive in, of course, we need that feedback. Don't forget, just give us the dang feedback. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. We need it. It's super, super helpful. Uh, Every little piece of it, we love it. So let's get into the conversation with Rich Mulholland, who is just a fantastic guy. He's spoken in over 30 countries uh, on six continents. He's clearly a rock and roll roadie, turned out to be entrepreneur, and he absolutely has the best tattoos of anybody that I, that I spend time with. I have massive tattoo envy. They're so awesome. Your, your pictures are great. We'll make sure we get a good tattoo shot on the, on the press cover. But uh, he works with executives and speakers around the world, helping them deliver uh, amazing presentations. Uh, and so as you can imagine, working with people giving presentations over the last year or so with the pandemic. He's been super busy trying to pivot, figure out and get involved and help people get past their obstacles and just got an amazing entrepreneurial story. Plus just being an awesome, fun guy who is passionate about above all else, board games. Rich Mulholland, how are you, man? I'm doing fantastic. I'm now nervous that I'm not going to be able to bring the same level of energy that I see from you. So I'm going to have to I'm going to have to smash my first little bit of coffee down a lot so I can bring it at the same level that you're sending it. It's so funny, like when the switch goes, like we'd had a conversation for five minutes and it's like, all right, go. And something happens, something breaks inside of me and suddenly I'm I'm at like, you know, two hundred and forty volts. But that's incredible. Like, sorry, I know we're just jumping through. You said conversation. That's what most yeah. people don't get. They don't understand. So people don't get that like when you go out there, you go on stage, you go on a podcast, you go on a video. It's it's the version of you you want the person to play in the movie, right? So yeah. it's not being not authentic. It's still Mark. You're still bringing it, but you're bringing it at a different – at like an amplified level. And most people think that that's being inauthentic. And it took me a while to realize that's not inauthentic at all. That's just bringing it at a different level. It's, it's bringing it at an amplified level. And I think when you can figure that is, when you can figure the version of you that DiCaprio would play in the movie, that's who you want to be when you get behind a mic. I kind of think it's the real me. I think I think the rest of the time is sort of like, you know, low power mode. You know, you got like power conservation mode. You, you can't, I couldn't be the real me all the time. I'd wear myself out. But that battery <laughs> conservation mode is exactly what we should be because it's also a thinking, processing. So this isn't yeah. this is this is not getting it back out there, right? It's it's sending it out to the world. The rest is an input phase. But I love that idea of uh, conservation mode. I think you're absolutely spot on. Anyway, so <laughs> that's it. Stoked to be here. This is fun. It's awesome, man. So I'm excited. So we talked. We can talk about anything you want to talk about. I am curious, though, because when we first met, which was four months ago, I'll say, doesn't matter if that's right or not. Uh, the the part of the story that really captured me was that your entire business was about helping people with in person events and being engaging on stage, and you and you went from like a super busy business with a very amazing facility that like you wowed people with coming to your office, and you're like, well, that's all useless. Let's get rid of all all that and let's do everything virtual. And now we're on the other side of that. What have you? What are you? What, what are you seeing? Are you having to readapt to a world that's starting to open back up, or, or are you just like, no, we found the new formula and we're not changing anything? Okay, so I do see that the world is uh, changing and starting to open up and things like that. That's of little interest to me because if I get local again, then I'm doing business locally. So then my client list is people that I can drive to their venue, and it's events in which I can help them with this part of it. I, what I don't think is going to happen is that we're going to lose the digital component of, of uh, live eventing. So I think the future is hybrid. The future is going to be that somebody's going to be in the room, some audience is going to be in the room, maybe your key executives, but then 500 other people from your sales force are going to join online. And somebody's got to manage that experience and somebody's got to make sure. That's the other thing is our access to talent and speakers. This didn't take much planning for us. We're sitting halfway around the world from each other. I'm down in Cape Town, South Africa. You're in Texas. Like everything is easy. And why would we want to go back to a point in which if I wanted to speak at one of your events, I had to fly halfway across the planet. So this, what we've now done is we've all swallowed the red pill. 
I'm going to double down on the idea of how can we level up when presenting online and when doing this digitally. Because I also think for me as a like you know as we all are as entrepreneurs, we're the salespeople for our businesses, and this is easier. There's so much less friction with me having a call with somebody online. I can get on a call quicker and I can get through the call quicker. So. I do believe it's going to change. I do believe we're going back to in-person events. I do believe that's incredible. I'm excited to do some of those speaking gigs. But for me, what's more exciting is figuring out how the, the, what we've now realized we can do incorporates into this new world order. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm experiencing that same thing. It's, it's, I've got clients that I can barely remember what city they're in. Like, I don't know. I, I know I work with them. I know we're having great experiences. It's virtual. It's great. And my local clients are starved for local attention. And when I get in the room with them, it's totally different. So my business is actually twice as complex as from before because I, I am now developing two skill sets that kind of have to coexist and interchange at times. It's, very, it's a very strange thing. Yeah, now there's two ways. For me, my business is twice as complex, but what it is, more importantly, is half as boring. I was so bored of my business. Entrepreneurs, we fix problems or we fill gaps. Uh, my business isn't that complicated. So most of that was figured out in the first three or four years. Uh, I started my business when I was 22. I'm 46 now. I've been so bored of my business for so long, it's been at cruising altitude. Last year, it stopped cruising and it started dive bombing. And it was the best thing that ever happened because I had to get behind the controls again and I realized I'm loving it. And I, cruising altitude is a very, very boring time for many entrepreneurs. In fact, I sometimes realize why I'm not as traditionally successful as many other entrepreneurs is I'm not badass at the boring. I hate process. I hate running businessy type stuff. And uh, I just like the solving problems, putting up fires, doing that kind of stuff. Well, th that's not, that's not that's not abnormal. What 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 I think is striking, and I want to slow down, just make, unpack this. Most visionary entrepreneurs are exactly like that. They they need they need the interesting piece, and so they create an interesting half broken business. They can't get good at the boring stuff. The the ones who are successful bring in typically a whole other leadership function to do the boring stuff. And what the visionaries that I work with. They want to get to boring so they can then go intentionally, positively make it more interesting, but they can't seem to get it to boring enough. And so it, usually I'm saying is, your integrator is your missing link. You have to have that leader who can do that. How did you get it to boring and keep it there? I'd worked with a business coach, a guy called Wolf Fosser, for years, and I, he knew I wanted to get out. What I wanted to do is keep starting new businesses. And I thought that this is one of the worst terms I think people throw out. They throw this out as a term of, as if it's a sexy thing. I think it's a flaw. I think this is a bug and not a feature, is the word serial entrepreneur. Uh, okay, the idea okay. that we are entrepreneur 20 times over or 15 times over, for some people that's good, but for me, every single time I've tried that. So at one stage I had a group of companies called Cultivation and we had uh, – uh, 21 tanks, human rights, the sales department, missing link, I'm missing one. Uh, and like, I can't even remember what, I mean, it's shocking. And the, <laughs> the, my, I thought that that's what it took to run a business. But actually, all I was doing was every time I got bored, I would start something else to find my excitement. What last year taught me is I didn't have, I didn't have the opportunity to save everything. So I wanted to really, really focus on the one part of the business that I, I did that I was good at. And I found my focus inside that. So instead of me getting bored of my business, I got bored in my business. And that was very, very helpful. Now I do have a senior leadership team that like I just got off a call with our managing director. Uh, that would be president, I guess, in, in US terms. Okay. She All runs right, the business and she's my functioning That's my boss. It. But um, okay. I just got off the call with her and I, we were, I was arguing because I want to do this, this, this. And she's like, dude, no, this is, and that's cool. And then I'll come up with this and she is going to have that tension. And then we've got a head of special operations who is the somewhat in between that I will throw a left field idea. He will test if that still fits the construct and the victory condition of the business. And then Sam will make sure that that happens and rolls out into the company. So that's how we've so done it. I totally dropped the mic because that, that was exactly, I mean, I, when I entered this conversation, because I have a tool set and I have a philosophy that I teach and I'm always afraid that somebody I'm going to have on the show is going to like break it. They're going to say like, well, it, that doesn't, isn't too far business, but that's you one more ex example of as the visionary, easily bored entrepreneur for that person to be successful. 
successful. It doesn't work without somebody who is trying to be boring and slowing you down for all the right reasons, incredibly saying, hey, Rich, this great idea if you really want to sink the ship. And since we don't want to sink the ship, we're not doing that. <laughs> and we're going to do this. And we're going to be on the same page that we've already agreed to and keep going. I and mean, thanks for your ideas because well, some of these are actually pretty good, but those were not. So that's the integrator visionary functionality that yin and yang you have to have. So that's interesting. So, but you still describe it as, as, as being bored. When you say that, I'm like, that's profitable, man. If you've, <laughs> bored is profitable if you've got profit the good integrator. <laughs> well, profit is only important if you care about profit. So I realized years ago that no matter how rich I get on the, on the Olympic, on the Olympic you know, stage of rich people, I wouldn't even make the team of the luxury housing estate I live in. Even if I fulfill all, in fact, my neighbor across the road, no matter if I fulfill my wildest dreams, I'm not going to beat Nilesh's uh, uh, goals of, you know, he'll beat me on the team. So I realized that financial gain and profit by itself was a bit of a, a problem because you're always wanting more. Now, I get that all entrepreneurs are different things, but I refuse to measure my success on how much, how far beyond enough I have. In fact, the only reason that I woke up to that and to realize that I have to turn on the gas a little bit more was that it's all very well and good that I have enough. I live in a nice home in a beautiful city and I've got a great lifestyle, get to go snowboarding and ride my motorbikes and buy my board games. But my staff don't all have that. And so it's all, you can't stop you can't stop when the mm. founder has enough because every chip goes a no bit lower. No one else is motivated. <laughs> yeah, nobody else has enough. So I've got to make yeah. sure that I build the business enough that the people who have bought into my vision of you know what we want to we want to help ordinary people deliver extraordinary presentations. I've got to make sure that the people who buy into that with me they get to a point where they can live in a nice house and a nice suburb, go snowboarding, buy board games. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. See, see, what we learned about leadership and Simon Sinek talks a lot about this as the concept of of the the cherished leader who is ostensibly and, and actually in, in actuality oftentimes taking more risk than anybody else for the cause the the community actually wants that leader to have what they want they want to to shower them with praise and, and gifts and rewards and which are a result and not not a, an entitlement which is a whole other conversation in itself but um most people in a company really want the president owner to have lots of great stuff because when the the leader gets lots of great stuff, which they deserve for taking the risk, that means that everybody else will get similar reward as well. And so if the, that's a really interesting point. If the leader of the organization says, I'm good, that's a very unhealthy thing for everybody else. If the, if the, if you don't think that through, because if you're no longer growing financially and otherwise, then everyone else is stuck too. And that, that's not good. <laughs> and they're way down the hierarchy right but you don't have to do it so for example so years ago i was when i was on uh, the douchebag curve that we now refer to it as lovingly as i was buying a new car every year and i just bought myself this fancy porsche and i felt great about myself and uh i remember one of the guys in the office had said something about oh rich has bought a fancy car and sam mm. turned around and said the day richard stops buying fancy cars and this is i mean i'm 46 this was probably 10 12 years ago and sam only just turned 40 so she was probably she was the second in charge she was probably 28 at the time and she said the day richard stops buying those cars is the day we should worry because whenever the, he as he grows the business grows and things grow and i i thought that was true for a while but now i realize I can still grow the business and the people without putting myself off that. So I stepped off that treadmill yeah. because especially in organizations like EO that I'm part of, somebody's always wealthier. Somebody's always got a nicer house. Yeah. My wife is in a spousal forum with a person who when she goes to a spousal forum in their home, she gets in an elevator and goes up an elevator through the different floors. Like we do not have elevators in our home. Now, if I compare <laughs> right. my success against theirs financially, I will feel like I'm a failure. But for me, in terms of my craft, I believe that in the Olympic Games of my craft, uh, we would captain the continental African team. And on any given day, I would put us up to be a good fight for a medal. And so that's where I'm trying to put my focus uh, and plowing my efforts and my profits back into the business so that we can grow in that way as well. And that I'm enjoying so again. Yeah, that's a great correction on what I said, because what, what I said kind of would lead you to believe that it's about the leader becoming 
selfish and narcissistic and, and more material going to the leader. But the point that uh, there is some sense of growth, every individual, especially an entrepreneur needs to grow in some way. And, and maybe that's the craft, but it's certainly the vision for the organization, the organization, the plan, the whole vision that needs to be progressing and doing something bigger than the individuals. And so I guess that, you know, I, I sort of oversimplified, but I do, I do think it does boil down to if we, we have, we're all, the tides are going to rise every, you know, it's, it can't be individual and if we decided you know we don't we like the tides where they're at that 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 could be a very uh, bad message for people who are like i i'm just i'm not catching many waves <laughs> you know i think we need the tides to rise i think that's spot on and the mistake i made is i got the one tide up and then i went to a new dam and i tried to do the same there instead of so that was that was that serial entrepreneur mistake where i said well i've got this one to this that one plate is spinning now i need to try and spin a second plate and now i need to try spin a third plate when in fact i wish i just made the you know the three three plates spin on top of the one thing and that's what i'm now i'm like ruthlessly curious and absolutely focused within the realm of the space I'm in. And as a result, I've fallen back in love with my business. I will say, I sometimes I sometimes wonder if it doesn't frustrate the team in the short term having me back involved because... <laughs> I, I am like, uh, you know, coming in, it's like a, uh, when, my, when my wife is just so much better at cooking than I am, and I hate if I'm busy making dinner and she sticks, she walks into the kitchen, because I know she's going to just tell me what I'm doing wrong and things, and I sometimes wonder if, I, if I'm being that guy. I don't mean to be, but, uh, but the net result is I am in love with my business again, like the first time I started it, except that it's more mature now, and I think it's great. And that was all thanks so to I, the I, pandemic. Well, that's that's awesome. And, and a lot of people have a lot of gratitude. I have a lot of gratitude for, for the pandemic. That is not to say that it was not excruciating at times. And I, I'm very, very open about the fact that, you know, I, my business was pretty good. I mean, I did take a, take a hit uh, and I was privileged to be working with great, positive, optimistic clients. But, but that for me, uh, there were days when I was—I just felt like I was under a lead blanket, even when things were good. Just the uncertainty and the difference, and it was very, very difficult for me. Uh, but I can't—I can't look back and say anything other than all good for me and and uh, for, for the benefit. Now there are people in my world who, who don't ha- have quite the same story, but it, yeah, it's all 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 good in terms of forcing the changes and, and improving things. <coughs> You talked about your involvement in the business and how uh, you, you've, you've con- you're concerned about how you know maybe you're tinkering and people are like get out go back to playing board games we were fine over here uh, I, I don't I don't think that's the case I think the formula that works well is honor the structure of the organization you've you've got your integrator you've got uh, you've got your leaders and if you flow through the organization and you provide your spice and contribution and don't usurp or undermine anybody's authority uh, people love that as long as the structure is honored and people people's contributions are honored have you know people want the help they just don't want to be disrupted or uh, redirected when they've got momentum and those kind of things so uh, you know I, I think people want that as long as you honor that yeah, I think one of the uh, Sam and I's conversations are if there ever tension, it's always privately. So we have three yeah. weekly calls at uh, uh, 12.30 and we chat for half an hour and we go through everything. And that's where we argue and debate things. And t- sometimes we bring in the head of special ops and we go through that as well. But you're right. When the idea is that any of this tension happens behind closed doors so it doesn't feel like it rocks the business and by the time it comes into the business it feels like a natural progression and that's where she's so much better at managing that than I am because I just want to go and tell everybody and do this and she's got finds a better way of of making that work because she also understands the bigger picture of the business so I've gone deep on craft what we do what problems we're trying to solve in the world and that's very different to uh, creating a mechanism, building a mechanism around that craft to, to amplify that authority to our clients and to the world and to make an impact. And she does that. And she knows that engine. She understands how that engine is running. And that frees me up to do other stuff. So one of the, th- the things, there's lots of things that can kind of come out of this, but 
I, I coined a phrase, I guess, maybe I'm sure some people have said many similar things thousands of times before me, but I, I was coaching a guy in particular, and he was all over the place, and everything was kind of going well, but it was early stage, and he had four or five irons in the fire, and I said, look, man, this is great, but sooner or later, you're going to have to focus, and since having said that, I've learned to apply that kind of anywhere I see a lack of focus, even though things are going well. And the way you described what you had to do and ties back to a phenomenon that I encountered, which was when I was an entrepreneur before I had any of the tools, any of the ways to focus, one-page plans and, and, and EOS-type tools that I, that I teach now, I, I, I thought I was focused and I, and I wasn't. And what I discovered is when we created a plan that was narrow, that seemed like it was eliminating distractions that might be otherwise interesting, all that creativity that I had hadn't gone anywhere, but now it was sitting into a lane. And, and, and then rather than tweaking something way over here and, and investigating something way over there, all of my creativity was in a theme. And now my creativity was twice as powerful because I was solving problems on the same subject. And now this, the subject started to elevate and multiply in terms of how I could put all my energy. It was, it was a classic example of a laser beam focus of the energy. And now we could start to cut through diamond because we had the energy in one direction as opposed to diffusing the energy all kinds of, all kinds of different ways. Is that kind of what you're starting to see with like, look, there's an urgency behind like the, the world. If I don't get this figured out, we're going to have a problem and I cannot focus on all these different things. Completely. I love what you said there, and I was trying to pass in my head because I thought I was focused. So I did think if you'd asked me five years ago, you focused, I was yes. But I realized, so I went to war with a term for a while. Now, I don't know if this is a term you guys use over there, but in South Africa, people in, say, ad agencies will often refer to themselves as creatives. So I am a creative. Mm. And I would yeah. say you're, mm, you're falling in love with a, no, uh, a noun when, in fact, you should be thinking of it as an uh, an adjective, like I'm a creative something, you know, because mm, lawyers can yeah. be creative, uh, builders can be creative, or architects can be creative. And uh, they see creativity as the end, not as the tool. And I think when I was listening to you say that there, I was thinking, see, this is, and this is a term that I've been playing with in my head. I mentioned to you when we were chatting before. I think my focus was on misguided towards the noun entrepreneur. So I was mm. trying to be an entrepreneur. I'm part of this entrepreneur's organization. Entrepreneurship is glorified. So yeah. I got so lost in being focused. But what does an entrepreneur do? An entrepreneur starts new businesses, does new things, all the things yeah. entrepreneurs do. That instead, what I should be, and so I'm a presentation guy. What I should have been is an entrepreneurial presentation guy. That's oh. that's the difference. And and my focus was on entrepreneur, not presentation and so i lost my way because i got seduced by the glorification of the term entrepreneur but that's not my job but my job isn't to be an entrepreneur my job is to make people suck less in public and i lost <laughs> i, I lost track of that yeah. yeah because because of this and I, and I don't know if you felt it but even i guess it, like you know eos is in the word but this we've fallen in love with this notion of the glorification of the entrepreneur and I think that's what I focused on being an entrepreneur yeah. instead of focused there. So, yeah. Well, I'm a huge fan of EO. Been a, been a member or participant in some capacity for 15 or maybe longer, 15 years or longer. It's it's a lifestyle first thing, though. It you know the ostensive of joining is I'm going to be a better business person, but that's not guaranteed because it really more than anything plugs you into the visionary, entrepreneurial, distracted, exclusive access to fun stuff on the planet. And I think that's cool and it's good and it can make you a better person, but it's not guaranteed that that turns into success it actually is trying to make you a little less successful you're going to spend a little more money and you're going to spend a little less time in your business and you're going to hang out with cool people which can be good and I, that brought me back to one of my earlier podcasts we talked about cameron harold and cameron harold and i talked specifically about this idea of you got to curate 
who you hang out with. You got to really put some, if you want to be that entrepreneurial person who helps people suck less in public, like that's not an accident. That's not just hanging out with fun drinking buddies at EO. That's like, well, who am I spending time with? Am I joining certain associations and, and who do I want to be like? And it really takes some intentionality to say, look, I have scarce time. My time is super, super leverageable, super valuable. And, and so who, who am I going to spend my time around and what's that going to do for me? How do you curate your time? Well, so I'll tell you that in a second. But last year, uh, so I've been, you know, a membership chair, chapter president, global communications committee. I went on that fun hobby of EO. EO leadership is a hobby. You get to do cool things and it's fun. And I went, you know, I got to be part of the management of a 14,000 person company for a while. That felt really great. But it was a distraction. Yeah, that being EO. But I tapped out last year. I oh, stepped gotcha. out of leadership of, of, of EO and I, I joined the Presentation Guild board because I realized that I, the Presentation yeah. Guild is the, uh, the authority body within my sphere and everybody I speak to are trying to go deeper on craft. And I want to get deeper on craft. I want to be the world's leading authority in this space. And I say that with no hyperbole. I would literally want to be the world's leading authority in delivering a message to live audiences. And I've got a lot of work that needs to be done in order to get there, but I think I've still got the time. So uh, I had to surround myself. You know, it was great to hang out with my EO and, you know, it's a beautiful network and, you know, I'm a big fan like you, but I realized I needed to put my energy there. So I stepped out of one leadership and into a different one. As for curating my time, like many public speakers, uh, I'm really, 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 really not good with people. So I don't enjoy social interaction. I have does not play well with others tattooed on my back. I'm not <laughs> for real. Yeah, yeah, for real. I'm very antisocial. Okay. Like, and I, I don't mean it in a horrible way. I don't like crowds. I love my family, but I struggle with family gatherings. And um, I basically never see people. I read novels. I play board games. I spend time with my family and then maybe once a week now because my wife has forced me uh, i'll try meet one other human in person but i like i only curate my time to to yeah things i want to be to like things in my head do you so there's all the science around social interaction and social um correlation to happiness and fulfillment do you struggle with trying to figure that formula out or do you feel like you're locked into your best life I don't know. I'm really happy. Uh, my, okay. so, so my wife is amazing. We giggle all day long. My kids are incredible. Like I've got an 18 year old, a 13 year old, and they still like me. Like that's, that's, that's something that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. My family, my, I, I know this is, it sounds so normalized, but I realize it's not. My parents live 500 meters that way. My sister lives 500 meters that way. And my other sister lives a kilometer that way. We're walking distance from each other in spite of moving over from Scotland to Johannesburg to Cape Town. Like we all want to be around each other. I saw both my parents and my sisters uh, twice this weekend. Like I don't need so much more. And also what I've loved about, I think we became socially reliant on the workplace to fulfill our social tank. And Mm. I actually get fulfilled. This conversation that we have had today is a gift for me. This is me uh, engaging with somebody else, having a cool chat. And this really serves. It fills my tank a lot. And that's enough for me. Uh, So if I can have one of these types of things a day, I feel I'm doing better than most people because they're just talking rubbishy admin stuff all day. I think that what happened last year was we moved back from getting our social interaction at the office to getting our social interaction around our home. So the home became the center. All of a sudden, I don't know how it was over there, but within our little closed housing community, people would have barbecues on the street and we all put it up and then that neighbor and everybody, all these new community things were formed. And I, you know, walked outside, said hello, but my wife and kids all made friends and they were all chatting and it was incredible. And that's been so fulfilling. But for me, I have very low social requirements for happiness because I'm very happy and I'm very antisocial. But you've got the, you got the balance. I like with the pandemic, I, I go 
I go in, in, internalized and I start to go to work and I start solving problems and I get focused. And But I actually get lonely. I, do, I really realize I've got to make sure I'm interacting with people in the right way because I can I can veer off pretty pretty easily. And it's and it's interesting because when I get hyper-focused in work and specific things, I'm only interested in talking to people about those specific things. <laughs> and so Cameron Harrell, he kind of called me out and called in general. He's like, look, if you're not doing anything fun, if you're not watching any TV programs that people talk about, you're boring and stop that. And at the time, you know, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how true that is. I think there are seasons of life where like boring is okay. I'm trying to get my craft to the next level. But it, it did stick with me to make sure like, you know, is this the right recipe? And, and how much you know, frivolity and entertainment in, you know, should be in my world. You clearly don't have that problem. Your passion is board games. And that, my passion is not board games. Like, I have like no board games like in this house anywhere. <laughs> There's one dinosaur board game downstairs that my son likes to play. But that's it. I also think uh, hobby board games are very different to the type of board games maybe you grew up with. So I just have to be, I always have to be solving. And in fact, it was one of the biggest things for me last year was in the past, uh, I would try and force everybody to play a board game with me. Every speaking tour I went on, I took games with me to play with people. No matter where I was in the world, I had a board game and I wanted to sit down and play a game with people because I think it's a nice social lubricant for introverts like me that don't really like small talk. I can put down a game state and it can be thinky and we can solve a problem together or against each other over a table and that forms the basis for us to have social interaction. Last year, I played no games, and I couldn't understand why. And then I realized it's because my problem-solving quotient was my quota was done. So my day mm. required me to solve so many problems all day long that the, the game of my business was fulfilling enough in that regard. So at the end of the day, I wanted to relax with reading some fiction or, um, you know, reading some fiction mostly. And so that's what I would sit and I would do. And it's only just recently now, as the business is getting really into its rhythm, I mean, in September was our best month in 24, at the time, 23 years, and we're doing better and better every month. And and uh, now I'm starting to play games again. I played a little solo card game at lunch, a uh, game of solitaire, and uh, it was incredible. And now I'm I'm trying to solve new problems in different ways. So that's, that's my thing. I, I get all up inside my own head, and I've got to be solving problems. So now I'm confused because I was thinking I need to start doing more board games, and I'm like I, but I'm pretty sure that I'm spending a lot of time solving problems. So I probably don't need more of that. But I like what you said about board game is the substitute for small talk because I cannot stand small talk. Like that is that's a problem for me. And so I'm thinking, is that the solution? Can I pull board games out? The game I've been playing lately though is chess. Do you play chess at all? I used to play chess. I play a very similar game. I play called Tack, which I think is more accessible. I can teach it to you, and it's not as dependent on. You know, even though I've played like 400 games of it exactly because I logged them and you've played none, after like two or three games, we'll have a good game. Whereas if I played 400 games of chess and you'd played none, it's not even a sport for you. It's not even a game. Like, I just know the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I get a str- str- that's what I think about it's so funny about chess. It, like I'm I'm so bad at it. I can't believe how bad at chess I am. Yeah, well chess I play is my a friends learning, and it just destroy me. It's a learnable skill. So I do enjoy so there's a game called The Duke, or there's a version of it called the Jarl that I highly recommend to people that like chess. And in this game you basically start with a pawn and uh, two pawns and a, uh, for all intents and purposes is a queen and if the queen dies you lose okay in this case it's the duke but every turn you've got a choice you either move one of your pieces or you reach into a bag and you pull out another piece but all the pieces feel the same so you don't know what you're getting now some people say oh but that's got randomness to it but that's what i love because it has input randomness now mm-hmm. the world is about input randomness the world isn't deterministic it isn't like everything follows a formula it's that an event happens the event is i draw a bad tile And I now have to make that work because that's what now I've been given. And for me, like when people talk about purpose, I don't believe we have a purpose. I believe we're like a walking bag of hairy meat. I believe what we have is a a hand. And at any given time, you're holding a hand of five skills or talents or whatever, five cards in your hand. And your job is not to debate the cards. It's to optimize the way you play them. And so I'm constantly on this trying to figure out, like, what is it that I'm doing? And and I love the idea of inputting randomness. Anyway, so the game is The Duke. It is worthwhile checking out. You can get it on Amazon or whatever. And it's a, it's a, easier to teach over quicker and will give you everything you want from chess. But I, I guarantee you'll get it to the table more. 
God, I love it. I, I'm excited to check that out for sure. And I and I think what you described, like playing the hand that you're dealt, that's the metaphor that I describe. I don't use it exactly like that way, but it's the same message that I say that entrepreneurship is all about. Entrepreneurship is taking a bunch of broken stuff and figuring out how to get what you want anyway. Yeah, broken is the opportunity, though, right? Because yeah. that's what I always used to think. Like an entrepreneur fixes something or fills something. Uh, if it was all working, and I understand this is entrepreneurial, but if, if I walked into a flower shop and loved flowers uh, and started a, a second flower shop, that isn't really entrepreneurship. It's kind of small business ownership. And I get that that's maybe a snobby term, but just for the sake of this, a friend of mine, uh, Ryan Bacher, he walked into a flower shop, bought flowers to, d- to drive halfway across the town to deliver to his uh, uh, wife, and then realized this is stupid and broken and started Net Florist. And it was basically Amazon for flowers. He started that many, many, many years ago. It's built a monster business. He didn't start it because he loved flowers. He started it because he hated it. And so there's great opportunity <laughs> in falling in hate with stuff. Like that lie, do it you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Uh, like I think you should love how you work. I don't think you should love what yeah. you do. I think you should be so frustrated that you want to make something better. But then one last thing I want to go back yeah. to is yeah. because I don't I so I don't drink, smoke or take drugs. So because of that, sometimes and I don't like small talk. Alcohol often does the job <laughs> to make conversation easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it makes it easier. So now that's one of the crutches I don't have. So I can't just go sit there, drink away my antisocial things, and then become chilled. Yeah. So yeah. I have to have some things. I'm the awkward guy waving a board game. It's so weird. People look at me that's like, so dude, funny. what are you actually doing? Are you kidding me? <laughs> But I love it because it's highly differentiated, right? So you're very memorable. You know, from a branding perspective, you're like, look, I'm not trying to be different. This is this is as good as I could come up with. But it's very effective. <laughs> you know, I've never forgotten the board games. You know, when you from the first presentation, like, oh, those aren't books back there. Those are all board games. I'm like, oh, really? So yeah, yeah. I think we spend. I remember saying this to my son once uh, years ago, like when he was a bit younger and he was struggling to fit in. And I said to him, kiddo, don't worry too much because you're going to spend the first 18 years of your life trying to fit in and you're going to spend the next uh, 60 years trying to stand out. And I think I just figured that out early enough and that fitting in is overrated. And I'm very, very okay to be, I'm comfortably different. Uh, And it's not that I'm trying to be different, I'm just comfortably myself. And as soon as you can figure that out, uh, it, it frees up a lot of space for you to put energy into other things. Well, that's, that touches a nerve for me, and that is that I have, as so many people, I'm 48, I'm still working on my own personal journey. You don't have a single gray hair. You look so good. Oh. I'm so jealous. There's a couple in there. There's a couple in there. My hair's still a little bit damp from my shower, you know? <laughs> when it dries off, you'll see more gray hair in there. But, uh, you know, being on my own, my own personal journey as a, as a visionary entrepreneur, it hasn't stopped. You know, that was one of the big lessons of the pandemic was that, you know, I, 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 was, I had to just let go of the facade that I was some sage leadership teacher and that really I was just a student being visible. <laughs> so uh, my the, the podcast is a manifestation of, of me still continuing the journey uh, for excellence, getting out of my own way and helping other people get out of their own way and live their best life. But one of the pieces I've learned on the journey about being real, one of my core values is, you know, realness, which as you know, if, from working with core values, just one word doesn't tell the story. There's a whole, there's a thousand stories behind that word for me. But realness is is about taking any facade down of of misleading and, and being clear and, and in integrity. And that's and that's not easy to do. But recently, the, epi- the the epiphany has been that I think socially we value honesty generically, and yet if you take a look at what we do socially, we actively and aggressively encourage dishonesty through fitting in, through being polite, through for you know being gracious and all these things that teach people that honesty is actually not good. It's very dangerous and it hurts people's feelings and you should stop doing it. And so it's a very interesting path to be on as an entrepreneur to say like, hey, wait a minute, there might be some rough edges and I might have to go against this unspoken social norm to to maybe hurt people's feelings occasionally and say things people don't want to hear if I'm going to truly be myself and be honest and authentic and actually get to that real bedrock core value, which is actually honesty, which is actually way more important for social survival than politeness and things like that. So this could be the topic for another podcast, 
but <laughs> society punishes you now for honesty. In fact, um, society at the moment encourages keeping your ideas to yourself because if you have something that could trigger somebody or offend somebody or be seen as any kind of microaggression or anything of any type yeah. you have to avoid it because people will as soon as somebody decides that you're public enemy number one they will go through everything you ever said on any platform ever and find something to to attack you with and so it is there's a negative aspect of this, and you're absolutely right. We're being trained to not say what we feel. And, and you know, if you go back to the likes of Aristotle, there's a great book by Jay Hendricks. It's called Thank You for Arguing. And he basically mm. says that according to Aristotle's rhetoric and rhetoric, argument is the, 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 the bedrock of all learning. Uh, so you have an idea. I have an idea. We, we push those ideas against each other. Uh, but not for the purpose of you being wrong or me being wrong, just for the purpose of seeing what happens. And then one idea emerges after discussion and we're both like, huh, that's great. I totally agree with you. And I was wrong and you're right. And we go on and now I'm, I'm educated. And that's how people push each other. But we can't do that anymore. It's not encouraged. It's not encouraged to take my ideas and, you know, so I also eat a plant-based life. And I have happened mm. to, to go that way. But this is not a topic that I would generally want to bring up because then it's judgmental and then there's this. And so yeah. we've almost got to be dishonest about these these types of things today. And I think that I think we're l losing something. Well, there's, a, there's well, I think it's a real strange duality because we are, especially in the United States, you see very strong teaming and partisanship and just like, you know, people are echo chambering. And I think what you see as pundits and idols among both sides are those people who are sort of unapologetic about who they are. They are honest, even if they're wrong, <laughs> like way like the fact factualness is not required these days on either side and that builds a loyalty with the team but it does bring on the enemy to come at you in some way and so I, I do think that there's there's sort of a polarity there that's creating this very incendiary conflict of you know cancel culture which that you know, that's that's in the in the heart of that if you know if you're going to be honest if you're going to make mistakes like you know the stakes are high man if you if you're if you're high enough on the visibility uh totem pole i guess uh and you make a mistake good night there's no there's no apology that's going to work it seems these days and so yeah, it's that I, tall I think poppy. it's very yeah it's very very dangerous time to, to be honest but by the same token i do you see people who are just i mean you know a guy, a guy like donald trump his cult of personality is about boldness absolutely so it works for him and he does it so aggressively that it's very hard for people who who are going you know trying the, the, he'd be the perfect cancel culture target right <laughs> he's absolutely the poster child for cancel culture and cancel culture can't get near him so it's interesting how, how both of those well, but they oh, have, right? I mean, right he's invisible on social media nowadays. He's not there. They basically blocked him in many ways from from many things. But again, I kind of think that if you're on the edge, you've agreed to be on the edge. So, and and uh, it's it's fine yeah. as well that those pundits you mentioned, like let's say. Um, Dave Rubin or somebody like that, They've, they're defining themselves by that edge. That is their job. Right. Their job is standing on the edge. My job is to be a presentation guy, but I have some opinions. However, mm. the net result is it's removed a whole bunch of distraction from me because realizing that all of these opinions about U.S. – I have opinions about U.S. politics. I live on a pimple on the bum of the African continent. Why do I have opinions about U.S. politics? And why do I waste time debating this with people online? And I realize that this is just a distraction. It's just another distraction from things. And then the other thing is just uh, be a better person. So it has kind of made me be less contrarian and less of an ass that I could be before. But I think certain conversations aren't being had, and I think that's problematic. But maybe that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I like that though because it, it gives me a little bit. Of, well, I've had some internal conflict around seeing people just say very bold, crazy stuff almost recklessly and and be rewarded for it. And I'm I'm like, well, I'm never gonna get 
recognized for my subtle curiosity, like that doesn't sell. And, uh, and so I just had, I had to get comfortable with like, well, I'm going to try to be curious and going to change my mind and I'm going to ask questions and I'm going to be on this podcast and I'm going to say a lot of things like, I don't know, like, what do you think? As opposed to, you know, that's stupid. And why? You know, I'm, so the, the people who lead with that stupid, and let me tell you why, with no contrarian opinion on the recording, <laughs> those people do really well. And, and so I, I've had to kind of get comfortable with, well, that's, that's not going to be me. I'm not going to be doing that. I am going to say stuff that's wrong. I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm, I'm going to lead with, this is a journey to learn and get towards truth and be real. And so I, I think I'm paying a price for that, but maybe that's the right way to go. Yeah, I think I, I think I would buy that. It also depends on the audience you want, right? The, the, again, the people yeah. in the market for that are spoiled for choice. Uh, on the fringes, there's lots and lots of people who will tell you what you, their echo chamber uh, uh, sect. They will tell you exactly what you want and you know what you're getting when you go in there. Whereas here, if somebody listens to your show, they're not quite sure where it's going to go because it's Socratic by design. So there is a question and answer approach to getting things. And so every single you're, you're entering a theater without you know reading the the movie review and, yeah. and that's that's more interesting to me whereas if i see certain people if i know that this person's getting interviewed by this person i can i already know what i'm getting and sometimes by the way that's delicious like so watching a good debate or a good fight like i enjoy that yeah. as much as the next person but it's not a often a big learning it's it's often more of a it's 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 got all the intellectual value of watching the ufc yeah, yeah. Well, it's a great example, right? Because it, it's very unpredictable. USC is notoriously difficult to be, a, to be on a consistent winning streak. For sure. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I, you know, a couple of things that I want to make sure I, I ask before we get out of here because we're, we're getting near time. One is um, all of this honesty and all this sort of realness. How does that fit into coaching people to speak and present? And you know, what's what do you what do you what do you tell people about what we've been saying in terms of their as a typical executive or entrepreneur who's in front of people? Well, so this actually takes me back a few steps to this, this, this pursuit of craft. One of the biggest reasons that most people, entrepreneurs especially, fail to become great not notable speakers is because, or even thinkers in general, uh, or to, sorry, they're great thinkers already, to be seen as great thinkers, is that they become the, the noise to their own signal. So they're out there, we have lots of opinions, we read lots of books, we do all of these things, so we have opinions on all of these and we share them with the world. So one day we're sharing a tip on leadership and also leadership isn't a category, that's, that's like a whole big top of the that's like saying that i enjoy you know italian food that's not enough of a mm. of a, a you know we got to get lower than that and so they have an opinion and then the next day they have an opinion about sales the next day they have an opinion about family the next day they have an opinion about these things if you want the world to know you exist have very very narrow opinions and go deep on them you, you know mm. focus what you're saying and that's the first thing i would say to everybody who wants to to be a speaker is how deep can we get into a topic until you can find a place where you own it where you can put a flag and say hey that's me that's what i own and and to figure out what is your what what could you get excited about being ruthlessly curious about what one topic uh, could you be excited about and then once you get there uh, uh, you know, go deep on that. It's why I think I would make a terrible podcast host because I would struggle to be curious about, well, I am curious, but I'm forcing myself not to be curious about all of these other cool things about entrepreneurship yeah. because they're distracting me from what I want to learn is this craft and skill of delivering a message to other humans. And for other people, it could be a different thing. So that's the first thing always. Then is there is a degree of authenticity, but even that's a bit of a lie because I don't want you to be your boring, crappy self that you are at home with your family. I want you to be the version of you that opened the show. You know, I want you to be that person, and you got to find that because you know you are delivering a performance. And so, trying to work with people about that. However, it's weird because I want you to be you, but I want you to be a better version of you that comes across. So I want you to, because audiences have authenticity detectors. Anyway, without yeah, getting too deep on yeah, it, yeah. it's this very weird tension between being authentic but being amplified and trying to figure out where you sit on that and trying to help people discover what that looks like for them and how what it takes for them to be talking about to get that passionate. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love the authenticity piece, right? Because you and I talked about this earlier, and I've actually this, this subject has come up a couple times in different different podcasts about audacity and boldness as cheap versions of just of attention grabbing. Like you know, if you want to be authentic. Don't associate being crass with authentic. Like that's only that only works if you're authentically crass. Like if you were kind of born <laughs> crass, then that should be that's your brand, right? But if you're just trying to get attention and you're mild mannered and you're like, oh, I'm gonna start dropping F bombs and we're gonna get that doesn't actually work, not long term. Yeah, so years ago, I used to be in my thing. I was this angry Scottish guy who went out and swore a lot and was funny and said rude jokes on stage. And I always pushed the limits a little bit. And I remember once I was speaking at this event called Net Profit. It was the second year. And I came back the second year and people walk out and said, oh, you're the sweary guy. And, uh, oh, you're so funny. Oh, it's a sweary guy. Oh, and then when they introduced me on, they said, guys, you know, watch your children, cover your ears. And I was sitting there backstage <laughs> thinking, how is this my thing? Yes, they've remembered me, but they've remembered me for the most base thing. And yeah. it got to the point where my old business partner would say to me, if I got off a stage, you say, sure, were you quite nervous on that one? And I say, why? Was I swearing a lot? And he said, yes. And he would realize that when I got nervous and I needed to rely on a cheap trick, I would yeah. drop the F-bomb and the audience would laugh. And you say it at the right bit. And everyone, because you, it's a shock laugh. It's like the way you laugh after getting a fright in a horror movie. <laughs> and, then, and then we laugh. And so then I see them react to that. So I do it more and more and more. And I've had to train myself not to, not to trade in cheap, cheap laughs. I want, to, I want to find content that people really want to engage with and just bring it across that way. And it's harder, but it's better. Because now, yes, hopefully people will see me as being memorable in some way and having a different presentation style. But now invariably people say to me, oh, that's that presentation guy or he does this or he is the expert in this. And that's a far better. It may be more boring, but I promise you I will trade being introduced as a sweary, funny guy as being introduced as the smart presentation guy a hundred times over. Like I always want to be yeah. that guy. Well, it's popularity versus utility, I think. And so you, totally. you want to be the funny guy that you're going to kill the audience no matter who's there. But you say boring. Boring to people who don't need you, what you are uh, the, ex, the craftsman of. Exciting to the people who are like, I need what Rich can help me with. Like, he's the presentation guy, then I need him. So it's, you really have to trade quantity for quality in that yes. sense. The only thing I'd push back on this is I don't think there are boring topics. I only think there are boring people delivering boring subjects <laughs> in a boring way. I, there's yeah. Anybody can make any topic exciting and fun and memorable for their audience if they make a suitable effort. So I don't ever want to be boring other than the fact that, oh, this guy's talking about that topic again. If you're bored of that topic, for sure, then don't arrive because that's, that's what I want to be. And I don't want to say the same thing, but I want to say I want to talk about the same subject. And I think just figuring out what that looks like for you is important and trying to, to work that out. But it's it once you go deep on that then it all comes down to enjoying yourself with it and falling in love with your material it's so much easier to have fun but to take it back to the authenticity you need to check yourself if you're getting your your and even how many f-bombs allow yourself at most two per talk right and only only if they are really really necessary the question is is this the best time to use this word? And this word will work really, really, really well. Then do it, uh, and buy, and own it, and don't apologize for it. Just go yeah. with it. But and maybe you can get away with one more at the end as a thing. But any more than that, and, and you've just it's just a lazy adjective, or a lazy. Yeah, I couldn't words. agree more. I, yeah. I love that. So, what's one thing you would tell anybody listening to this who's getting ready to kind of? be in front of somebody to start down the particularly on the path of authenticity because I think that's one of those we can talk about it all day long and it's a deep deep well of what authenticity is it's an internal journey that lasts a long long time for everybody it's I see that if you see comedians over the course of their career their their style it just gets more intense over the decades because they unpack it and they focus it and they hone it so you're an you're an entrepreneur leader somebody who's like I'm, I'm getting ready to start this what's the first step I think authenticity in general in any stagecraft is a byproduct of comfort and mm. stop waiting until the presentation that matters to start speaking. 
So I believe the difference between a leader and a manager is your ability to communicate. If you are not sharing an idea from a business book, if you have not taken three tips from this podcast today, three things to form a five-minute discussion, just five, think about your opinion about three of the things we discussed today and to go to your team tomorrow, make three slides, slide one, slide two, slide three, put them in Prezi or in PowerPoint or whatever and share them online in your next huddle and deliver a talk to your team and do that two weeks from now and do that two weeks from then and two weeks from then and then somebody says to you hey would you come and do a talk on x to our symposium you're already comfortable delivering a message to to live audiences what is frustrating for me is that people wait till it matters no in no other endeavor like no sports person waits to train until the day that they get invited to go and join, uh, uh, you know, the, the <laughs> NHL. Like they train uh, in order to get there. And I think you need to practice in public. So if you're a business leader, an entrepreneur, like, you know, m- much of your audience is, you have an audience paid to listen to you. Use them and get out there and practice in public over and over and over again. Deliver talks to your team, lead them, show that you're a leader. And then one day when you're asked to come speak at a big industry event or something like this, for you, it's easy to be authentic because you're already comfortable. Man, awesome. Man, our time has flown by. We could go for a couple more hours easily. Uh, what? Any, did we miss anything you want to include in the conversation? Nah, it was just a lot of fun. That was awesome. So given just the time in the world, what, what, what's your passionate plea right now to entrepreneurs across the world? To lead loud again, and it's, maybe I should have waited for this a second ago. But the difference between a leader and a manager is your ability to communicate. Your people need more vocal leadership now than they have ever needed before. Uncertainty can be weaponized, but it will. People are looking at you to do that, and to figure out what that is, and to take the ideas from your head and share them with your people in a structured way to deliver a message to achieve a result. It's not just you saying stuff, it's you saying things to get people to do something different. That's my plea to you. Go out there and lead loud. We've been told that to lead is to listen. I'm calling bullshit on that. And that is my that is my one S-bomb that I'm dropping on this one because I think <laughs> I feel strongly about it. Yes, listen. But ultimately, if you tell me the name of a leader out there anywhere in the world through history, I'll show you somebody standing in front of a group of people with their fist in the air, and I want you to be that person. I love it. I love it. And I think, to me, the relationship between listening and and talking is that if you don't listen well, you don't know what to say. And you have to really, if you're going to say, you you need to pair that up with listening. But you're exactly right. You Be seen and lead. I I couldn't agree more. I love that. So, man, this has been so much fun. When are you coming to Houston, man? We got to get together in in real life. Yeah, that'd be great. I've I've already spoken there (laughs) once in person. And uh, uh, two or three times digitally, so I'll hopefully get back there at some point. Texas keeps having me back, which is nice. It's a, it's a great place to visit. I love it. I just want to go to a, well, I- a, a, a either college or high school football game. So that's my only thing. If I come there, I've never been to a football game. And I believe that the college ones are better, more fun ones to watch than the, than the, the uh, NFL. I don't it's, know if that's It's true. different for sure. Well, it, it's kind of your preference, but certainly, I mean, college basketball is in the, is nearing the end of March Madness, and so there is a certain loyalty and community that college sports have that are and football certainly in Texas definitely definitely has that. So when when, when you're coming to town, we'll, we'll figure out a way to make that happen. It is definitely on my bucket list to make it to South Africa and and um, and do and do the, the great white uh, cage diving and all that kind of fun stuff. So I'll, I'll yeah, have to. Totally. Start yeah, we nearly that. had all of the EOs over here last year of March, but uh, or last year of April for yeah. GLC, but that was not to be. Right, right. Yeah, I've passed up at least one trip to South Africa to do exactly that, which is how it made it to my list. <laughs> so, so at the time of my life, it wasn't the right thing, place but. to visit. And it's like you're spending money and you think that you're not because it's so cheap here <laughs> for if you're spending a dollar. Oh, okay. Uh, it's insane. Right, well, the, the EO price tag to, to, to get it to going, that was real money in, in US dollars, at least at the time. <laughs> yeah, I think you. EO worldwide, or was making uh, some some money on that deal. Well, look, man, if somebody wants to, if somebody listening to this enjoyed the conversation, wants to, wants to continue it with you or follow what's going on in your world, how does somebody find you? Uh, you can find my business at INeedMissingLink.com. 
that will take you to our actual site, which is msnglnk.com, but I need missinglink.com. And then if you want to find me, you can go to getrich.af, and that'll take you to richmoholland.com, but it's easier to spell. From both of those, there's links to my YouTube channel, to uh, where I talk about all things presentation and uh, vocal leadership. And then there's obviously another business links to our different programs and things like that. And I would love you to engage. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, it's probably my favorite mm, of all the you. platforms. So if that's if that's your fancy, please pop over and say hi. You're welcome to follow me on Instagram, but you're going to see photographs of my kids. And I know that and board <laughs> games. I know that that's unpopular and I'm doing it wrong. But hey, I don't have that much <laughs> ability to focus on all of the social tools. Oh man. I love it. Oh, we should check your books, about Legacy, Legacide, Boredom Slayer, Storyteller. Those are all books out there that they can check yeah, out. Storyseller.co.za. Well. Uh, oh, Storyseller, I said it wrong. You're right. Yeah, everybody says it wrong. It's a, Your brain is designed to fix that. Yeah, Legacide.com and, and Boredom Slayer. But yeah. Awesome, man. Well, that's our time for the day. Uh, super fun. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. And uh, for those of you who thought this was good, share it with your friends. Get it in the hands of people who can use this, who can unlock their uh, their their challenges as visionary entrepreneurs and, and live a better life and run a better business. Give us the feedback. Get it out there. Give, if you thought this was great, give us five stars. If you thought it was terrible, let us know. We need that too. But um, those, those likes and shares are powerful. We will see you next time on You're Doing It Wrong with me, Mark Henderson-Leary. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary. For more episodes and to subscribe, go to leary.cc.